this morning. We're going to be studying for, for a few moments from the book of Deuteronomy. But uh, before we begin that, I just want to make a couple of observations and comments based on what we've done thus far in our worship. And I don't normally do this, but uh, some thoughts went through my mind as I was listening to Dan speak before the Lord's Supper and also um, in, in Trent's prayer. Trent made reference to the fact that when we come together, one of the reasons we do that is to stimulate one another to love and good works. And that's from Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and verse um, 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. And when, when Dan spoke on the Lord's Supper, I think if there's anything that should be in our minds as a means of preparing us for the partaking of that Lord's Supper. It's, it's the suffering that Jesus experienced as he gave his life for us. We can say a lot about the Lord's Supper, but when we've said those things, if, if your mind's not ready to partake in the Lord's Supper after considering that, then you're probably not in a good position spiritually. And it also made me think of, in connection with that last statement, something else that we find in the book of Hebrews where the author is writing to Jews who were drifting away. That's why he placed the emphasis on being with other Christians so that we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. But also, he writes in the fifth chapter of the book of Hebrews about some things concerning Jesus being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he told them that the time had come, that, that they ought to have been teachers, but they needed someone to teach them again the, the elementary principles. Well, why had they digressed to that point? They weren't studying. They weren't, they weren't feeding on God's Word. And then in the sixth chapter, he writes about those who fall away. And... This, this is the sobering thought in connection with what Dan said to prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper. He writes of those in verse 4 of chapter 6 who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Not just what Jesus went through for us so that we could be saved, but the possibility of our falling away after we've tasted all that Christianity has to offer. What do we do? We again crucify Jesus based on our behavior. That's something to think about. And that's why we come together, we partake of the Lord's Supper, we, we examine ourselves to ensure that we're judging His body properly and, and making certain that, that we're focused on what He did for us so that we can stand justified in the sight of God, and then we remain faithful. I don't normally re-preach sermons, but I just wanted to make a few comments about that. That was uh, spot on, as we said.
Now, I had a couple of requests over the past few weeks from some of our young disciples. And, and let me just tell you that I don't like prayer requests. I mean, I don't, write, I don't like sermon requests. I do like prayer requests. Now, the reason I don't like sermon requests, I go back to years ago when I think I, I actually solicited sermon requests. And, and why do you think I didn't like it? I started getting all this weird stuff. You know, it's like all these strange ideas. Why don't you preach on this? Why do you want me to preach? Why do you need to know about the flight path of left-winged angels? I mean, why is that important to you? Now, that was not one of them, but it might as well have been based on some of the requests that were coming. But, but I had two really good requests recently. Uh, one was, would you preach a sermon on the book of Deuteronomy? And I will tell you that uh, the young disciple who requested it wanted that because that was one of Ruth Brigham's favorite books in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. So that was a good request. And then also, uh, I was asked to speak on the subject of prayer. Well, I'm not going to tell you that Deuteronomy is my favorite book of the Bible, but I will tell you that prayer is one of those areas of my life as a Christian, and I think I'm pretty much like most everyone else when it comes to this, that uh, I, I find myself getting stale sometimes in, in my prayer life. Do you ever experience that? You know, you, 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 you get to this point where maybe it's habitual, you're just saying the same thing over and over again, you're not really thinking about what it is you're saying, and and you struggle, and you say, well, what, what can I pray about next? And, and, and you know that it's, uh, it's, it's communication with God, and it's important. You know that the Bible says that we are to pray without ceasing. The Bible says that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, so it needs to be a part of my life, but then I find myself struggling with it. Sometimes I find myself not praying as much as I should. Well... I, I, I challenged myself this week. I thought, okay, Deuteronomy and prayer. Can I bring those two together? Can I bring the book of Deuteronomy and the subject of prayer together? And I shouldn't say t kill two birds with one stone, but some of you already thought it, so I'll go ahead and complete the thought. Accomplish two tasks in one lesson. Multitask. And so what I did is I went to the book of Deuteronomy and I started doing a little study and thinking about Moses and what he experienced. And then I asked myself, do we see Moses praying in the book of Deuteronomy? And we actually do see prayer by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. So here we're going to do something I've never done before. <laughs> I'm going to preach on the subject of prayer from the book of Deuteronomy. And I hope that what we learn from this lesson is how to draw near to God in prayer by thinking more deeply of the prayer life of Moses as it is revealed in this Old Testament book. Now, before we begin the actual lesson, we're going to do a little bit of a history and geography review um, here at this time. Now, you know, the young disciples, we spent about six months of this. Some of them may still be trying to overcome PTSD from, from that, that series of lessons on Bible geography because I really hammered them with it. Um, but they learned a lot. They showed a lot of interest. So this is going to be very, very familiar to those who were in the class. But if you, if you put the book of Deuteronomy in its historical context, 
And we'll just step back a little bit from it because there are references in the book of Deuteronomy to the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham's the father of faith, and God told Abraham that he would make of his seed a great nation. That promise was fulfilled when during the time of famine, remember Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers into Ishmaelite slavery. He was then taken into Egypt, and after a number of events, he was put in charge second to Pharaoh. There were seven, seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine, and during that time of famine, Joseph's family, including the brothers who sold him into slavery, made a trip to Egypt in order to buy food. Ultimately, Joseph's family, which would have been his father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob was his father, they would come and they would settle in the land of Goshen, which was the most fertile area of Egypt. You can see that by the different tributaries that came off the Nile River. And, and they would live there for some period of time and develop into a great nation. And then a Pharaoh would arise who did not know Joseph and begin to oppress the people. The people prayed to God. God saw their oppression, and he sent them a deliverer. That deliverer was Moses. Moses also was in line to be a prince of Egypt. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. But Moses chose a different path. And I think this history is important in looking at his prayer life. And the path he chose was, at the age of 40, he was going to seek to deliver his people. But it wasn't God's time. It wasn't time for that to happen. And because of a series of events, Moses found himself an outcast, now living down around Mount Sinai, which is, interestingly enough, the place where the law would be given. But for the next 40 years, he would be a, a shepherd. He would tend sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. At the age of 80, he saw the burning bush. He responded to the call to go back to Egypt and to be the deliverer. And you know the rest of the story of how God brought 10 plagues against Egypt, one of which was turning the Nile River into, into blood, which was a, a direct strike against one of the more prominent Egyptian gods, which was the, the god of the Nile River. They, they survived based upon the condition of the Nile. Nine other plagues followed. Ultimately, the, the Egyptians said, leave us, leave us. The Jews left. 600,000 soldiers. So it was, a, it was a vast multitude of millions who left Egypt. And they traveled they crossed the Sea of Reeds, the Red Sea, which was somewhere north of the, in the Gulf of Suez. They traveled down to Mara, and you remember that's where they, they sought water, and the waters were bitter, and, and, and Moses, God intervened through Moses to, to make the waters sweet. They continued to travel. Three months later, they arrive at Mount Sinai, and then God gave them the law. You know, Moses went up to the mount for 40 days and 40 nights. He came back with the Ten Commandments. What did he find? He, fi he found that, um, you know, as we would say, you, you, can, you can take the uh, Israelite out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the Israelites. So they had created a, a, a golden calf, and they were worshiping it, and they were partying, and they were partying hard. Well, God was ready to destroy them, but Moses intervenes 
He intercedes. He prays. And that didn't happen. So they, they continue to travel. They get up to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And I believe this was about a year after leaving Egypt. And it was at that point that they were going to send the 12 spies into the promised land. And you know that story. Ten of the 12 spies came back with the evil report, said, we can't take this land. The majority of the people, in fact, virtually all the people said, we agree, we can't. Only two came back with a good report, and that was Joshua and, and Caleb. But God said for the next 40 years, you're going to wander in the wilderness. Every, every male 20 and above, every Jew is going to die over the next 40 years. Now just imagine, and, and this is kind of being speculative, but I was thinking about this. What if, what if you're, you were 19 years old and your birthday was the next day? Boy, talk about being born at the right time. You're going you're gonna to make the cut. You're going to survive. But what would life have been like for that next 40 years? If, if you were under the age of 20, you would have been going to a lot of funerals, wouldn't you? I mean, millions of people are going to die over the next 40 years. And, and what would your life have been like if you were Moses? You were ready to go into the promised land. You had already experienced so much hardship, so much difficulty, and now for the next 40 years, you're going to have to wander in the wilderness too. And oh, by the way, you remember the story of God telling Moses to, to make sure I get this right, speak to the rock so that it would bring forth water, and Moses struck it twice, and because he failed to honor God in the sight of the people, Moses as well would not be allowed to enter the promised land. Now, that's going to come into play in a moment when we, we, we begin the, the lesson. So, after that 40-year period of time, they then continue their journey. That generation has passed away. It's the new generation. Moses is still with them. Moses has been told that he's not going to enter the promised land. Moses was, however, allowed at Mount Nebo, or actually it was Mount Pisgah. He died at Mount Nebo. It was at Mount Pisgah where Moses was allowed to see the promised land. Now, if you, if you were to look at the topography of the land, this area where they were now located about to cross the Jordan River and go into the, the promised land. This is the, the Transjordan Plateau. And it's some 3,000 plus feet above sea level. The highest point across the Jordan was Jerusalem, which was about 2,600 feet above sea level. That's why every time in the New Testament when you read about anyone traveling to Jerusalem, it's always said that they went up to Jerusalem. It's because of its, its, its height. But from that point, Moses was allowed to see the promised land. Now, again, how, how would that have felt? You want so much to be able to go, but all God was going to allow him to do was, was to see it. He could put his eyes on it, but he's not going to be allowed to actually go in. I, I, when I think about that also, I think about that place at Lookout Mountain in Chattanooga. You know, where you can go up and, and here's this spot where you can stand and you can see several states. But what do you see? You, you see a horizon, basically, don't you? You don't really see much. I mean, it's cool to think that you're looking at all those states, but it's not like you really see anything. 
Well, Moses could probably say more than that because it was a smaller area. But at the same time, it's just not, it's just not the way you want your life to turn out. Age of 40, try to deliver the people. It doesn't happen. The next 40 years, you're, you're wandering in the wilderness as a shepherd. You're 80, you go back and, and you deliver the people. God's power is demonstrated in, in so many magnificent ways. And now here you are at the age of 120, and you're not going to be able to go see the promised land. You, you die on a mountain. And, you know, to add more interest to the story, you get in the book of Jude, and you, you read that, that Satan and Michael, the archangel, disputed over the body of, of Moses. Just kind of a little side point there. But from the book of Deuteronomy, what do we learn about the prayer life of Moses that we can apply to our own life? Well, here's some things to think about. We should pray for blessings from God. And when I say blessings from God, I'm referring to good things that God would do for us in our lives. You see often in the Old Testament this phrase, may God's face shine on us. May God's countenance shine upon us. And what that really means is, may God bless us. But we also learn from the prayer life of Moses that we, we bless God. Now, that doesn't mean that we do good for God, but in our prayer, we should acknowledge the fact that God is good. And we bless God in acknowledging that He is good and that He is the source of all blessing. Notice in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 10. Moses is now on the plains of Moab. And this is a series of speeches delivered by Moses to the Israelites immediately prior, not only to his death, but also their entering into and taking possession of the promised land. Moses says to them, the Lord your God has multiplied you and behold, you are this day like the stars of heaven in number. And that's what God promised Abraham. He would make of his seed. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, this is the prayer. It's not a long one. Prayer doesn't have to be long to be effective. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are and bless you just as he has promised you. He is praying that God would bless them. In chapter 8 of the book of Deuteronomy, let's move over just a few chapters and note in verse 10 as Moses is recounting God's gracious dealings with them, not only from the time of the Exodus, but including the time of the wilderness wandering. God took care of them. God provided for them. Chapter 8 and verse 10, when you have eaten and are satisfied, when you go in and take possession of the promised land, when you are truly delivered, when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. And then in chapter 26, and we'll make our point a little bit more clear here. In the 26th chapter, notice in verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 26 and verse 15. And he's just going over different 
acts of worship at this point and how those were to be uh, structured. But then he prays to God, look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground which you have given us, a land flowing with milk and honey as you swore to our fathers. If you're trying to find something to pray about, pray about blessing. Ask God to bless your life. Ask God to bless the lives of your children. Ask God to do good for them. Ask God to bless your community. Ask God to do good for your nation. Ask God to bless your business. Ask God to, to bless your future. And ask God to bless you in those and many other ways based upon the understanding that you know you have been blessed by God. God is the source of all blessing. And in our prayers, we should acknowledge that. I think about the statement that Paul made to the church at Ephesians. In the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, he writes about the blessings of God. He, he gives a list there in that first chapter. But notice the language in chapter 1 and verse 1. He said, blessed be God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Your prayer life is going to go in the right direction if you pray with a, an awareness of the blessings that God has brought into your life. And as you study the scriptures, as you go through the Bible, look for those little statements that show that, that awareness of the blessing and that desire that others be blessed. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 23, just a simple example. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we tend to kind of quickly skip over those last few verses of, of every book. But a lot of times those last few verses can't, contain those gems of blessing where, where the apostle is expressing himself in such a way as, as really to indicate that this is a prayer. I want, I want you to have peace in your life. I, I want you to have love with, with faith. And, I, and we've got to understand that all of this comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, what a, what a way to, to enhance our prayer life to consider this example of Moses. The second thing that we see, going back to the book of De Deuteronomy, is that we should not only pray for blessing for others, not only should we acknowledge God as the source of those blessings, but we should also praise God in our petitions. Typically, the bulk of our prayer life, if I can say this, it's about me. It's about us. It's about what I want. It's about my needs. <laughs> and when you study prayers in the scriptures, what you find is that most of the prayers really are not aimed at self. There's a place for that. We need to be praying for ourselves. But we also need to be praying that God would bless others. And we should be praising God in our prayers. Now, there's an interesting place here in Deuteron Deuteronomy chapter 3 
that uh, I say it's interesting because of the prayer that is offered by Moses and what he's praying about and what he does before he actually makes the request. Deuteronomy chapter 3. Deuteronomy chapter 3. I also pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, and this goes back to the time when they were unfaithful to God, they were denied entrance into the promised land. O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? He's praising God. Now they're, they're, they're about to enter the promised land. And, and the, Reuben, the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of, of Manasseh, they've all fought their battles on the east side of the Jordan River. And those tribes have actually taken possession of some of the land. So he has seen God at work. He's seen God at work for years. And he's praising God for that. But here's the petition. Let me, I pray cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. God had told him he couldn't go, but it meant so much to Moses that here he is praying for it again. But then he says in verse 26, but the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough. Can you imagine God responding with that? Shush. Speak to me no more of this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes to the west and the north and the south and east and see it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. You're not going to go. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go across at the head of this people and he will give them as an inheritance the land which you will, we will, you will see. So we remained in the valley opposite Beth Peor. And again, just imagine how difficult that would have been for Moses. Joshua was going to get to go. I mean, that was basically his right arm. He's going to get to go, but Moses is about to die. And yet, what is he doing? He's praising God. Sometimes in life, we don't get what we want. We experience trial. We experience difficulty. Our dreams are shattered. <laughs> Do we still praise God? Do we still find a place to praise Him in our prayer? If we know God, we do. If we put things in perspective, we do. If we can see the big picture, then that's exactly what we're going to do. And you see that in, in prayer. When Jesus was teaching His disciples how to pray, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, what we typically refer to as the model prayer, Jesus said, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's an expression of praise. Hallowed means to be separate. Acknowledge that God is the one true and living God. There are no other gods before him. Praise God in your prayer. In Acts the fourth chapter, Early on in the life of the New Testament church, the disciples found themselves beginning to experience persecu persecution. Certain of the disciples, disciples were told that they were to no longer teach or preach in the name of Jesus. 
They were sent away and they said, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. What did they do in verse 23 of Acts chapter 4? When they had been released, they went to their own companions and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. They were together and they were praying together. But notice what they, what they expressed in prayer. O oh Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, why do the Gentiles rage and the, the peoples devise futile things? And that's from the second psalm. And it was a psalm that was written to acknowledge the fact that man's plans would always fail when he sets himself against God's plans. And that's what the religious establishment was doing at this time. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, Take note of their threats and grant, this is their petition, this is their request, grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence with, with, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. God responded to their prayer. But notice, in this petition, they had concerns. They had needs. They wanted to move forward. But they weren't going to ask God to intervene until they first praised Him. And in that praise, what do you see? An acknowledgement of the power of God. You see, praise in prayer actually strengthens our confidence in God responding to those prayers. Because if I'm praising God, I'm thinking about Him. I'm thinking about what He has done. I'm thinking about His power and His majesty and His glory. And it's not just words. It's not just flowery language that, that, that makes that prayer sound good. It comes from a heart that really knows God. And if I pray like Moses, I will praise God when I petition God. And then I think this is my favorite point. We should intercede on behalf of all. Go back now to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9, beginning at verse 22. And when I say we should petition God or intercede on behalf of all, an intercession is praying for others. And, and it's praying for others that God providentially will work for their good. I said earlier that when, when we pray, we should pray that God will bless our children. Well, that's easy. That's easy. It's easy to ask God to, to, to bless my children. It's easy to me to ask God to bless my brethren, those, those people that I have spiritual fellowship with, with who, who are working with me and, and not working against me. But what about others. Do I ever find myself in a situation where it becomes 
difficult to intercede. Again at Taborah and at Massa and at Kibrath Hatava, you provoke the Lord to wrath. He was speaking about what the Jews, those that he had been shepherding, had done. When the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea saying, go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You neither believed him nor listened to his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Can you feel Moses' frustration? And by the way, I think it was that level, that, that frustration reaching its peak that caused him, instead of speaking to the rock, when God told him to speak to the rock to bring water, striking it twice. By the way, do you think that was just a little bit of a tap? Probably like the time I got mad at my lawnmower. I've done this. I got mad at my lawnmower. And I just beat the stew out of that thing. Can you believe I did that? I picked up a crowbar and I just beat it. I'm a glad, I'm just so glad. That, now that's, that's a young man. I'm so glad nobody saw me doing that. That's why I don't like mowing grass. But that's what he did. He was just angry. He may have been hungry. He may have been hangry. But he, he beat that rock. So I fell down before the Lord the 40 days and nights. Have you ever prayed for somebody for 40 days and 40 nights? which I did because the Lord had said he would destroy you. I prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord God, do not destroy your people, even your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look at the stubbornness of this people or at their wickedness or their sin. Otherwise, the land from which you brought us may say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he had promised them. And because he hated them, he has brought them out to slay them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people, even your inheritance, whom you have brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. And what you see here is, is Moses again never forgetting the big picture. Never forgetting the big picture. Remembering the promise that God made to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, the, the promise that had yet to be fulfilled, that through his seed all nations would be blessed. The big picture, wanting God to act in such a way as to, to, to bring glory to himself and not give the nations an opportunity to, to slander or to speak against God. But here's the point again. He was praying for people who had made his life absolutely miserable. And it would have been very easy, very easy for Moses to say, you're the reason I'm not going in. If you, if you would have behaved the way you should have behaved, I would not have had this outburst of anger, struck that rock twice, beat that lawnmower, and lost my ticket to the promised land. Do you intercede on behalf of all? In Luke chapter 6 and verse 27, Luke chapter 6, verse 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those. Bless those. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the Most High for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Don't you see all of that in Moses when he was interceding on behalf of those who many would have said were his enemies and yet he's, he's praying for them. I mean, this, this would be like me praying for Nick Saban the night before the Iron Bowl. Be like Richard praying <laughs> not Richard praying for Hugh Freeze before the night of the Iron Bowl. I'm going to call you. We're going to pray together. First Timothy chapter 2. I got to do what you got to do. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why, why, what, what causes a disciple to fall on his knees and pray for the good of the president that he did not vote for? It's, it's seeing the big picture. It's seeing the big picture like Moses and, and, and asking God to intervene providentially in that man's life and those sur surrounding that man so that we might lead a tranquil and quiet life so that the gospel can be preached so that souls can be saved because that's not God's desire. That's the big picture. God wanted all of them to go into the promised land. God wants all men to go into the promised land. I hope these thoughts have helped you and will help you in your prayer life. There's so much more that we can add to our prayer arsenal if we'll just take the time to study even books like Deuteronomy. The lesson is yours. If you're here this morning and you never obeyed the gospel, we're going to sing a song now which is aimed at encouraging you to confess your faith that Jesus is the Son of God, having repented of sins and then be baptized to have those sins washed away. If you're subject to the call, please come as we stand and sing.